This is Sheila Hollinghead in Search of a Peaceful Life. Today I'll be sharing another excerpt from my book, The Unbinding. This is the second part of chapter one. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Matthew 7, 13. Often this passage is applied to the path to heaven or to hell, but is that the only application? As we have seen, Jesus promised the abundant life here on earth. If we do not follow in his way, adultery, hatred, wrath, envyings, and drunkenness, to name but a few of the works of the flesh, will lead us to destruction here on earth. If we discover the straight gate and enter to travel the narrow way, we will discover the abundant life that is filled with love, joy, peace, goodness, and faith right here upon this earth. To enter the gate is not an easy task. The straight here is the same word Paul uses when he says, we are troubled on every side in 2 Corinthians 4.8. Think of an actual straight that connects two large bodies of water. The ship sails between them, scraping the rocks as it inches forward. That is how it is with us. We must enter that straight passage that presses in on each side. That pressing, that struggle, allows us to enter the gate, the door, and that is our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. On the narrow way, feet slip, dangers abound, we struggle, straggle off the path, but strive again to re-enter the way, the walk, for that is the way to life. We will experience a little slice of heaven in the here and now. Victory, that slice of heaven in this life, involves making daily choices. As we make godly decisions, greater challenges will await us. Challenges that give us opportunities for greater victories. Here are a few biblical examples. Joseph struggled against the advances of Potiphar's wife and was thrown into prison. He found favor and a small victory when the jailer put him in charge of the other prisoners. Jacob wrestled with God and became a changed man physically and mentally, although not without scars. His victory was the blessing bestowed upon him. David fought a lion and a bear to prepare him for his fight against Goliath. He was victorious over the giant. These men all had victories in the moment. However, greater still was the ultimate outcome of these stories. Joseph became second to Pharaoh. Jacob became Israel. David became king. From their struggles, their correct decisions in smaller matters, and their willingness to transform, these men experienced victories not only in the moment, but victories they could not yet imagine. We can learn from these men. We all struggle, yet few are our victories. 
Could this be because we allow our struggles to deform us instead of transforming us? We deform by condemning, dividing, and insulting. We transform by forgiving, reconciling, and elevating. We deform to lead frustrated, bitter, and angry lives. We transform to lead contented, kind, and joyful lives. We deform into victims when we must be transforming into victors. If we allow trials and troubles to lead us to God instead of away, victory will lie within our grasp. By our correct decisions in submission to God, we will gain quiet, peaceful, and contented lives here on earth. It is only when the grapes are crushed and pressed that wine is produced. It is only in the pressing in our lives that we can say with Paul, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Philippians 2, 17. We need the sacrificial attitude to journey in the way, to reach the abundant life. And that brings us to the purpose of this study. Our struggles, our submission to God, and our transformations will lead married couples to the oneness as it existed in the garden between male and female. Why is this important? First and most obvious is that without the willingness of males and females to be fruitful and multiply, our churches, our very world, would soon cease to exist. Yet oneness is not only about creating family units, but includes something more for Christians. Jesus held marriage in high esteem, as we see from Mark 10, 9. What therefore man God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Believe it or not, despite what seems to be evidence to the contrary, our society agrees that marriage should be held in high esteem. Yes, the world admires holy marriages. How do I know? There are many indications. For example, whenever a large audience is gathered, and a couple in attendance are celebrating a milestone anniversary. What is the reaction of the crowd? Applause. Why? Imagine that the husband and wife explain. We've been married for 60 years. We are best friends who encourage each other in times of hardship, who make each other laugh, who stay up all night when the other is sick, who argue but are ready to forgive, who bear with one another's horribles, and who seek and learn together. We are partners in all aspects of our lives, and will walk in the way until the end of our lives upon this earth. Most, if not all, would desire such a life, a lifelong commitment to one another. Married people should be able to rest in such a love, and have peace. This commitment in Christian marriages is of even greater importance for Christians since it is the witness of symbolism for the church's relationship to Christ. As Paul tells us, 
for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this call shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, 28-32 Let's stop to consider this for a moment. The marriage relationship symbolizes the relationship between Christ and the church. It is vital we as Christians reflect this proper relationship to the world. Does it mean all should marry? Of course not. It does mean that we should hold marriage in honor because of the commitments made and kept. Long-term commitment, whether to a person or a cause, is deeply moving. This is why a dog resting beneath the casket brings us to tears. It is why the Lord of the Rings, a story of commitment to a cause, is so immensely popular. It is why movies such as The Notebook and Fifty First Dates engage such large audiences. These movies show men committed to relationships even when the relationships no longer exist in the memories of their partners. Commitment as a biblical concept is becoming more foreign by those who feign disdain. Yet unknowingly, these people still widely admire marriage, as we've seen from the few examples cited above. Commitment is becoming rarer because of misconceptions. We believe when we marry that the commitment is to the young, attractive person we are marrying. No, we do not see clearly. The commitment is to the relationship, to the vows we make. Your spouse does not come first. In our marriages, the foremost, the preeminent, is the relationship, the marriage, which reflects to the world what true commitment to Christ by the church looks like. And in getting the marriage relationship correct, God is glorified. The motivators to marry and have children are few and far between in our world today, and sadly, even within the church. Christian marriages have similar incidences of infidelity, unhappy, unhappiness, and divorce as to non-Christian marriages. Because of the difficulties that continue to arise, some wish to retreat to simpler times, to times when moms baked apple pies and picket fences enclosed our yards. And some religious movements have done this by picking a time period and staying put. The thing is that if we wish to grow in spiritual maturity, we cannot retreat but must move forward before we continue, let us note that it's not the changes in our surroundings that create problems, although they often get the blame. Change is not to blame. Instead, it's because we do not correctly apply biblical principles when change occurs. Let's look at one example. Peter tells husbands to know their wives in 1 Peter 3.7. This cannot happen without proper communication. In today's society, cell phones are often blamed for the lack of communication between husbands and wives. 
the answer to this problem is not to ban cell phones, but to learn how to effectively use them to enhance and not hinder proper communication. This is but one example of how retreating to the past is not the answer. We must push forward into the unknown future, armed with wisdom gleaned from the Word of God. The Bible teaches there is only one way forward for the Christian, and that is through the door, through the garden gate, through Jesus. For it's only through the straight gate and along the narrow way that the abundant life awaits in the garden. Thank you for listening. Uh, I will continue posting some more chapters from my book as, as they become available. Just be looking for those. I hope you have a great day. Bye.